Welcome to One True Podcast. My name is Mark Chirino, and my producer is Michael Von Cannon. In his memoir, A Movable Feast, Ernest Hemingway wrote, All you have to do is write one true sentence, write the truest sentence that you know. So finally, I would write one true sentence and then go on from there. In that same spirit of honesty, creativity, and curiosity, One True Podcast explores all things related to Ernest Hemingway, his life, his work, and his world. Today's show, again, takes Hemingway at his own premise. We ask our guest a very simple question, what his choice is for Hemingway's one true sentence and why, and then, as Hemingway writes, go on from there. And who knew, Michael, that when we came up with this concept, this kind of nerdy drinking game, that we would be creating such a sensation. But it's impossible to have a one true sentence challenge without asking my friend, Eric Nakjavani, to play it with us. Eric Nakjavani is a professor emeritus of humanities at the University of Pittsburgh. He was a founding member of the Hemingway Society. His latest publication on Hemingway is Theory and Practice of Fictionalized Autobiography, Hemingway's Under Kilimanjaro, which was published in the Norman Mailer Review. The great thing about Eric's work is that you know within two or three sentences that he wrote it. No one writes like him, and no one approaches Hemingway in quite the same way. And there aren't many people you can describe that way. So we're delighted to have him with us, Eric. Thank you so much for joining us on One True Podcast. Well, thank you indeed. Um, I'm very happy that uh, I at least can see you virtually after so many <laughs> years. <laughs> it's, it's a pleasure indeed. So, Eric, let me ask you, what is your one true sentence and why? Well, the uh, sentence is there. There is a fourth and fifth dimension that can be gotten, in prose, that is. And uh, as you may recall, uh, in the first chapter of uh, uh, Green Hills of Africa, Hemingway accidentally meets a, a former plantation owner an Austrian by name of Sandinsky. And they have a conversation uh, which leads them to a discussion, uh, a brief one, of literature in general and prose in particular. And Ernest, uh, Ernest Hemingway, I should say, uh, tells him, that he believes that there is a fourth and fifth dimension. He takes it for granted that uh, Sandensky knows about the three-dimensional Euclidean um, space of length, width, height, and depth. Uh, So he doesn't get into into that. Uh, he was great at this, as you know himself, descriptions of these dimensions. Uh, 
but he wrote um, Greenhouse of Africa in 1935. And by this time, someone like him was aware of Einstein's uh, four-dimensional space-time. Uh, and uh, he mentions the fourth dimension, and then he goes uh, beyond that, of course, and um, mentions the fifth dimension. It's a very interesting thing uh, that he says a writer can achieve this, that is the fifth dimension, he is, it would mean to me at least um, in the uh, context of Abrahamic religions of the Middle East uh, in all uh, three of them, Judaism, uh, Christianity, and, and Islam, grace of God. Uh, there is that religious dimension. But when I uh, would talk about it uh, in my classroom, uh, I would say my students to my students that uh, there was also a kind of Freudian um, interpretation of luck. And that means simply that um, what you're engaged in aligns itself uh, with instinctive forces where it originates. Um, and that is also another way of thinking uh, of luck. Eric, I think the thing I'm trying to determine about the, let's just say the fifth dimension is Hemingway talking about these extra dimensions on a sentence by sentence basis, or is he talking about it conceptually in the way like, I'm going to get, I'm going to write a book that is fourth and fifth dimension. It begins with concrete reality of our lived experiences. Uh, that is the basis of all of our um, understanding of what reality is. And it's subjective and objective. Uh, that is a very extraordinary thing about uh, our experiences. And what he does, he goes beyond the known, and he would like to capture the as yet unknown through this known. He would like to see it also even intimating something beyond our ability to comprehend. And all of this makes a certain kind of uh, re prose reality when it translates in, into uh, prose that I thought of as virtual reality of 
of prose. This concept is, as you know, today not very far away from our consciousness. As you very well mentioned when we started, <laughs> what we are doing is, is virtual reality. Uh, it's a visual one. But yes. here, of course, um, we have uh, a different uh, kind of uh, virtual reality, and that is in prose. Um, so that is my comprehension of what he wants to achieve. And then you might ask just how can it be achieved? That's just fine, but how do we do it? And uh, my understanding is that, as you were mentioning, that it goes down to the level of the words we are, words, excuse me, that we are using, which we might call the lexical level. And then there is the grammar, syntactic level, and then um, finally uh, the semantic level. And they are subject to all kinds of creative man manipulation. Every word that we use we can use perhaps substitute another one for it. And it's an endless kind of a task for a writer, as you very well uh, know. Uh, so at that level, there is a freedom of choice. And grammar is very flexible, as, as well as... Um, the lexical level, and together they create the semantic level. And there again, because of these flexibilities, because of this freedom that we were mentioning, we get into um, a uh, multiple significations uh, by semantic, which is precisely uh, the very basis uh, of what we call interpretation. And this is a very, in itself, extraordinary thing that we have. Back after this. This episode of One True Podcast is supported by the Hemingway Review, the scholarly journal of the Ernest Hemingway Foundation and Society. Michael and I read it cover to cover every time we see it. You can buy back issues of the Hemingway Review at HemingwaySociety.org slash journals. In my introduction to you, I mentioned that your most recent work was on fictionalized autobiography in Under Kilimanjaro, the book that you are quoting from, your one true sentence from, is Green Hills of Africa, which also plays with the notion of fiction versus nonfiction. So I am wondering if what you are talking about with respect to these dimensions, where does truth or fiction come into this whole formula 
because you remember, and let me just uh, interrupt myself for one second, is that when Hemingway goes on in the passage from Green Hills of Africa, he says, this kind of prose can be written without tricks, without cheating, uh, and it must have discipline. So there, there seems to be a fixation on the truth, the one true sentence, etc. But then again, we might also be talking about fiction. So how do you, how do you discuss that balance? Excellent, excellent uh, question. Uh, and it takes us to the very heart of uh, the mystery of what uh, uh, he was dealing with. There is this idea of freedom that lifts this very extraordinary pressure on, on us and gives us some liberty. These are there is a contingent truth in all of them that uh, right. can be extracted and developed. And this shows the freedom that the flexibility of uh, language gives us. And he said you could actually go beyond the true and by that I mean live the experiences, and create something which surpasses it, but is totally rooted in it. And, and this is really uh, a very extraordinary thing to me, this notion of uh, freedom where there would not have been any other bars. It allows imagination to envelop us and to create something that, as only Hemingway could, could uh, describe, truer than true. That response makes me think of a letter that Hemingway wrote to his father, 1925. So that's 10 years earlier than Green Hills of Africa. And just let me quote from the letter. He says, he tells his father, you see, I'm trying in all my stories to get the feeling of the actual life across, not just to depict life or criticize it, but to actually make it alive so that when you have read something by me, you actually experience the thing. It is only by showing both sides, three dimensions, and if possible, four, that you can write the way I want to. And so he's talking about that. I mean, 1925 has to be one of his earliest aesthetic pronouncements, and he's already talking about this concept. Precisely, precisely. And, and uh, to me, there is almost a sense of ecstasy to realize this. Yeah, perhaps I'm exaggerating, but I feel that way, that there is a notion of freedom within the given that the imagination can realize. And uh, that gives you a certain kind of exaltation, it seems to me. Um, so reading Hemingway uh, lifts you up to this, to this level. And I call this virtual reality uh, of... Uh, 
which I equate with the, the fifth dimension. I think when Hemingway says there is a fourth dimension and fifth dimension, it is the instinct of readers to identify what is the fourth dimension and what is the fifth dimension. How, what level of clarity can we have about assigning a quality to each dimension? Well, um, those are the given. If you believe in Einstein's theory of relativity, and if um, one sticks to it as the basis of reality, that is how we experience things in time and space. Uh, But that experience in itself transforms into uh, something magical, uh, alchemical, if you wish, and it transmutes the everyday, the here and now experiences into something that he found, as I do, uh, to be a privilege to um, to know and to achieve and to experience in, in a way. Um, we see something in the virtual which intensifies the sense of our experiences. This intensity in itself, uh, to me, is very, very exciting. And as you know, we still read Hemingway sometimes for the nth times, and we are moved in a way that... Uh, Seldom happens. You should be. I know that you're an extraordinary reader of uh, yourself, and but the joy of uh, reading is finding uh, uh, something that ordinarily you would not find. And he was a seeker himself. He was a clairvoyant writer. He could see the future as we have achieved it. <laughs> uh, perhaps it's an exaggeration, but at least he saw the possibilities of it in in prose. Eric, uh, when you refer to Hemingway's alchemy, he uses that very word in the Nobel Prize acceptance speech at the end of his career. So what you're describing is really a pattern that, fixates Hemingway that Hemingway concentrates on as a writing uh, ethic. So I think that's, I think that's absolutely appropriate. Um, and Eric, may I ask you in closing, if you would re- uh, repeat the sentence and read it for us. There is a fourth and fifth dimension that can be gotten. And of course that is a prose. Uh, and uh, may I just say also uh, that the awareness that we were uh, talking about of this dimension also includes the reader, what the reader brings into this conversation. Uh, there's someone who uh, reads um, and the text. 
And the interaction calls for an interpretation. And that interpretation uh, again creates a new world. We don't read uh, the same text the same way. Depending on, upon our, our culture of reading and education, culture of everything we experience in, in life, uh, we read what we read and interpret it. And that interpretation, interpretation is a part of what we were talking about as well. And Hemingway was aware of that. Eric Nakjavani, I think uh, we approached the fourth and fifth dimension in this interview. I think you'll agree with me about that, right? Indeed, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us, Eric. The pleasure is mine, indeed. And thanks to you all for listening in. This episode is available on HemingwaySociety.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at OneTruePod. That's the number, OneTruePod. Or email us at OneTruePod at gmail.com. Our show is supported by the Hemingway Society, the English Department of the University of Evansville, and Florida Gulf Coast University. Join us next time as we continue exploring Hemingway, his work, and his world. Until then, I'm Mark Chirino with Michael Von Cannon, and this is One True Podcast. Oh,